everybody. How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. Man, it's been a heck of a week. I'm sorry that this episode is going up a day later than it normally does. I was experiencing some technical difficulties. You see, after seven years of being a computer, my computer decided it wanted to change careers and start a new life as a sack of shit, or best case scenario, a very expensive paperweight. Now, I want to be supportive. I know that late life career transitions are very difficult, but at the same time, I felt like it kind of owed our listeners, you good people, a little something more than that. Because when it decided to switch over to its new career, it had a podcast that I had recorded most of on it. And I didn't want to have to figure out a way to re-record and try to recreate the goofs that me and Corey had. So, did things. Was able to finally convince my computer to give me, let's say, two weeks notice before it decides to stop being a computer again. And hopefully I can figure out something to do in the meantime with that. Which is to say, sorry things are late. Not entirely my fault. Other than that, been a pretty good week. Although that has kind of dominated my week. But, other than that, uh, a friend of mine turned two, so I went to his birthday party. What's up, Isidore? How's it going, man? You should not be listening to this. You're two. And I swear a lot. And you wouldn't get most of the references. But, when I was buying him his present... I noticed something that was very useful, which I wish would apply to more purchases, where it tells you what ages it is appropriate for toys for children, which is good because, you know, I, I don't want to buy him a dirt bike, but I got him some bristle blocks and said right on there for ages two to four. I was like, oh man, I wish more shit had that. I wish like I could look at a CD and it would say like, okay, this is for ages 34 to 47 and be like, oh, okay, cool. Nice. That's right in my wheelhouse. Although I do think with CDs, probably the minimum age would be 34, because I don't think anybody under 34 buys CDs. Just like if it was like a dubstep CD, it would just be like, what the fuck are you doing with this? Like, this would be for ages 27 to 34, but I don't know why we printed it. Maybe it's a novelty. Maybe it's ironic. I guess that'd be a pretty long advisory sticker. Anyway, now that you've heard the origin story of this podcast and uh, a few of my whimsical musings... Let's talk about some comic books, or a comic book. Without any further ado, let's ado this. Today's synopsis rhyme was submitted by Jamie Green. Tighter than some handcuffs on a suspect's wrist, prepare yourself for a mighty synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Jamie. New Teen Titans, number 15, January 1982. The Brotherhood of Evil Lives Again. Written by Marv Wolfman, drawn by George Perez with inks by Romeo Tangal. New Teen Titan Roll Call. Beast Boy, Robin, Kid Flash, Starfire, Wonder Girl, Robin, Raven. Now, before I start the previously in segment, I want to bring something up real quick. This issue starts off with Marv Wolfman having a little caption that reads, There is no way to sum up our pulsating plot to date, so just keep on reading and we'll clue you in as we rock it along. Okay couple things about that. Fuck you. And challenge accepted. Previously in New Teen Titans. Oh boy. Here goes. Beast Boy stepdad Steve Dayton, the fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy man in America, went off into the jungles of Uganda searching for Madame Rouge and General Sal, the murderous fuckwads that killed Steve's wife Rita, and the rest of her pals in Doom Patrol. Then Steve disappeared, so Beast Boy sent his buddy Robot Man, Doom Patrol's sole surviving superhero, searching for Steve. Then Robot Man disappeared. Hmm, unsettling trend. Then a whole bunch of shit happened. Gar got mostly murdered, then got better, then got mildly murderous, then got better. Donna had her emotions manipulated by the ancient Greek god of being a total douche lord. And perhaps most importantly, Starfire rode a giant mutant kangaroo in an Amazonian demolition derby. Hooray! Meanwhile, Robin, Kid Flash, and Cyborg went looking for Steve and Robot Man. They found Robot Man's deactivated body tied to the outside of a ziggurat, so they reactivated him. Oh, and in case the naming convention was too subtle for you, Robot Man is a Robot Man. 
The mended mechanical man led the Titans to the futuristic fortress he found underneath the ziggurat where Madame Rouge and General Saul had been keeping Steve as a heavily drugged prisoner. The medicated millionaire insisted that he couldn't leave without taking his high-tech suit that boosts his mental powers, which he calls the Mento Suit, so I call the Freshmaker. So they grabbed the Freshmaker and vamoosed into the jungle where they were reunited with Beast Boy, Starfire, Raven, and Wonder Girl. Steve wouldn't shut up about the damn Freshmaker, so they allowed the drug-addled Dayton to put on the outlandish suit. Bad move, Titans! And not just from a sartorial standpoint. Putting on the Freshmaker triggered some kind of Manchurian Candidate-style hypno-bullshit commanding Steve to use his mental powers to kill the Titans. Shitty! Fortunately, just when it looked like the Titans' collective goose was cooked, Raven had a bright and not at all creepy and unethical idea. She cosplayed as Steve's dead wife and told him to knock it off. So he knocked it off. Hooray? Raven then used her powers to undrug and unhypnotize the now penitent plutocrat who went on to explain that he had been captured by Zal and Rouge who drugged him and hypnotized him. Makes sense. Beast Boy got super pissed off seeing as how Zal and Rouge were the assholes that murdered his mom and Doom Patrol buddies, so he turned into a toucan and flew off alone to seek vengeance. Because solo vengeance-seeking seemed to work so well for the previous two Doom Patrol affiliates who tried it. But before the shape-shifting teen could follow his nose to reach the hidden underground fortress, it suddenly became not so hidden or underground. The entire subterranean city that Zal and Rouge had been using as a headquarters launched itself into the sky and started flying off towards the Baltic Sea. Why the Baltic Sea? Because the Baltic Sea is the location of the mysterious island nation named Zandia, which has a dark secret and no imports or exports. Good to know. The now-flying, no-longer-underground city, which I'm going to call New Laputa, makes a beeline for Zandia, with the Titans following close behind in their jet, with the exception of Beast Boy, who was clinging to the side of New Laputa as it rocketed towards its destination. When it reached Zandia, New Laputa deployed hordes of flying armored guards to start murdering the citizens of Zandia, starting with the appropriately named President Graves. Golly, things sure do get murdery in a hurry when Rouge and Zal are around. Well, the Titans, with the possible exception of Starfire, hate murder, so they started attacking the murderous jerkholes. But the murderous jerkholes hated people hating murder at them while they were trying to get their murder on, so they beat up the Titans and took them and Robot Man captive. Well, they took the Titans captive except one. Beast Boy got himself gotten by a totally different group of murderous jerkholes. The Brotherhood of Evil. Gadzooks! What evil secrets are the citizens of Zandia hiding? Are they robots? Because it seems like they're probably robots. How will Steve Dayton and his powerful Freshmaker suit respond to his allies being captured? And how will the Titans try to convince Rouge and Zal that murder is wrong? Stay tuned to find out. Whew. No way to sum up that pulsating plot, eh? Take that, Wolfman. Okay, so, bizarrely, no. Although that would have made so much more sense than their actual secret. Um, by taking a nap, I guess? And by murdering them, of course. Hooray! Well, Robot Man and the Titan sure have gotten themselves into a mess of trouble. Seems old General Zal's gone ahead and stuck them in a terrarium filled with some kind of crazy goo and aims to devolve them until they transmorph into some kind of protoplasmic jelly. Now that ain't too neighborly. And in case you reckon Robot Man don't have to fret seeing as how robots can't dissolve, you reckon plumb wrong. See, right about now our buddy Robot Man's looking as nervous as a seven-necked cat in a room full of hypnotized Wonder Girls, on account of how when these titans start getting devolved, they go all gnark and start fixing to bust his chassis up something fierce. Okay, sorry about that. I was going for a Waylon Jennings type folksy narrator, mostly so I could just do that seven-necked cat in a room full of hypnotized Wonder Girls line. Sorry, it's it's been a long week. Anyway. While Zal is watching the devote-up titans wail on Robot Man, Madame Rouge is dispassionately watching her murderous minions wreak havoc on the defenseless citizens of Zandia. Her internal monologue casually reveals the dark secret that Zandia has been hiding. The reason they have no imports or exports, and are able to live in an apparent utopia, is... They're all criminals. And their leaders are really bad criminals. So, um... But... Why does that... You know what? Fuck it. Fine. They're criminals. So, they don't need any infrastructure, and they're totally self-sufficient, and they have no need to buy or sell goods. Or eat. Or have any services. Because they're criminals. Fine. Rouge's henchmen are murdering the fuck out of these magically self-sustaining Zandian criminals. Meanwhile, in a different part of Zandia, a different set of murderous criminals is introducing themselves to Beast Boy. The Brotherhood of Evil. Man, it is difficult not to say mutants at the end of that. 
The Brotherhood of Evil are old Doom Patrol enemies. Gar's pretty surprised to see them because before Rouge and Zell murdered the Doom Patrol, they first murdered their old teammates, the Brotherhood. Or thought they did. It turns out that the group's leader, a disembodied brain named, imaginatively enough, The Brain, and his partner, a super-intelligent talking ape with a French accent named Monsieur Mala, hooray, faked their deaths, hid out for a few years, and recruited a new team. Now they want revenge. Sweet. Each member of the team steps forward and introduces themselves to Gar and us readers, and shares a few fun facts about themselves. How convenient. Warp has a ridiculous French accent, a giant uncircumcised turtleneck, and can teleport people. Hi, Warp! Hoongan dresses like Vampirella, but with an elaborate feather headdress. He uses voodoo, but does it with computers or something, and says a bunch of science words all the time, so you can tell he likes science. Kinda like Natalie Portman in Thor, but a more fully developed character. Hi, Hoongan! Phobia looks like the Wicked Witch from Snow White, but in a Count Vertigo cape. She can make people afraid of stuff. She demonstrates by making Beast Boy afraid of women. Gee, impressive. What's next? You gonna make, uh, something else that's already afraid of something? Afraid of that thing that they're already afraid of? Sorry, it's been a long week. Tough for metaphors. Hi, Phobia. Plasmus is a big walking tub of science goo. He has a ridiculous German accent. He is made of goo and science, and he hates General Zal because Zal used science to turn Plasmus into goo. Hi, Plasmus. The Brotherhood wants Beast Boy to team up with them so that they can get revenge on Rouge and Zal. I guess they figure there's only room for one team of murderous assholes with ridiculous accents in Zandia. Fair enough. Gar gives the Brotherhood a little speech about how they suck and he hates them, but he hates Zal and Rouge more, so okay, what the fuck. But after their team up, he's totally going to beat the crud out of them. They're all like, yeah, cool, works for us. Meanwhile, back in the flying city of New Laputa, Zal is saying a bunch of Nazi stuff because he's an evil piece of shit. Things are looking pretty grim for our gnarked up heroes, when suddenly, Gar and the Brotherhood teleport in and start fucking shit up. Hooray! While Beast Boy and his baddie buddies bust heads, Robot Man grabs one of Cave Cyborg's sonic blasters and uses it to break the bubble of the Devo Terrarium. Well done, Robot Man. A problem came along and you whipped it. Suddenly, the Titans are all back to normal. Like, immediately. What a shitty Devo Terrarium. The newly de titans exclaim that this time they're out for blood and aren't holding anything back. The Brotherhood is like, oh, you mean like this? And kill the shit out of a bunch of Rouge and Zal's henchmen. The titans are like, oh, shit, no. We were just gonna, like, I don't know, give them bloody noses or concussions or something. This is fucking terrible. Leaving their minions to get shot and punched and teleported into space, Zal runs off in one direction and Madame Rouge in another. The awfully accented archfiends are respectively pursued by Robot Man and Beast Boy. Robot Man chases Zal and traps him at the end of a corridor. Having nowhere to go, the Nazi fuckwad pulls out his pistol and starts firing at the advancing android. But the bullets bounce off Robot Man's metal tummy and end up hitting Zal right in his not so metal tummy. Hooray! The gutshot goose stepper tries to say Heil something or other, but he bleeds to death first, so we never get to find out what. Probably he was going to say, Heil, not getting shot in the tummy. What a fucking idiot. Meanwhile, Gar Logan is chasing Rouge down a different hallway. Overcome with grief and rage, Beast Boy snaps and gets all, well, bestial. He changes first into some kind of sea serpent, which is an interesting choice seeing as they aren't in the water, but hey, you do you, Gar. They end up fighting in the control room for New Laputa. The shape-shifting team is just smacking the shit out of his mom's murderer. Figuring that if she's going to get killed anyway, she may as well take everyone with her, Madame Rouge pushes the self-destruct button for New Laputa. Just then, Gar bashes her into a big pile of electricity or something. At first he's worried that he killed her, which is kind of what he was going for. And it turns out he did. But also, the electric shock tasered the evil out of her, and she feels just terrible about all the murdery shit she's been up to for the last several years. I guess she used to be a regular not-evil lady until the brain made her undergo some kind of a evilfication process. With science. Anyway, with her dying breath, she tells Gar to get his buddies off of New Laputa, because it's about to go boom. Then she dies. Dang. Gar is super out of it and feels really shitty about having killed. But he'd also like his friends to not blow up. So he heads back down to the main battle area. He runs into the brain, who's all like, 
Hey, great job with the murder, buddy. That's terrific. Isn't killing your enemy the best? High five. I mean, you know, metaphoric high five on account of I'm a disembodied brain and all, but still, yay, murder. This doesn't exactly cheer Beast Boy up. The two uneasy allies get warped to teleport the Brotherhood and the Titans off of the about-to-explode floating city. Moments later, the about-to-explode floating city explodes. The two teams of respective heroes and villains part ways. The Titans are sad about the horrific carnage. The Brotherhood is super stoked about the horrific carnage. Suddenly, Steve Dayton pops out of nowhere in his Freshmaker suit. Wait, was he just, like, sleeping in the car this whole time? What the fuck? Steve tells Gar that he's glad he's not dead and that he loves him. Gar calls Steve dad for the first time. Hooray. Then everyone stands around and thinks about how totally dope Doom Patrol was. Fuck yeah, they were. Hooray. Man, I kind of hope more nervous than a seven-nicked cat in a room full of hypnotized wonder girls catches on as a phrase. I feel like it might be a little bit too niche. Huh. And joining us once again is my good for many things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am well. How are you, sir? I am also well. Very I started good. to say similarly well, but how well can you ever really know how someone else is doing in their mind? You can't. Unless you're Raven. Ooh, touche. Hmm. In which case, it doesn't really matter, because then you just go do something awful to them anyway. Yes! <laughs> She actually doesn't do that in this issue, does she? No, she's pretty chill for the most part. Yeah. Okay, sorry, Raven. On her behalf, apology accepted. So, what'd you think? I think there's kind of a lot to unpack in this story. There really is. Overall, kind of a mixed bag. There was a lot I actually really liked about this, and for the most part, I enjoyed it. There were some really satisfying moments. It actually managed to pretty much wrap up a fairly long for this comic book story arc that mm -hmm. started about six issues ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I liked those things about it. There were several things in it that made me go, wait, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> so let's start with a couple of those. Okay. Zandia. Yeah, what the actual fuck? It doesn't make any goddamn sense. You take a bunch of criminals. Right. You put them in a bubble world. Yes. It becomes like a... A utopian paradise. Time? Yeah. Like Luxembourg or Liechtenstein. Yeah. Or other small European countries. Here's the crazy thing about that. So they're apparently all just fine taking whatever jobs it takes to make a city continue running. Sure. It says that the country is populated entirely by evil criminals. And their children, ostensibly. And, yeah, because we do see some children, unless those children or, are yeah. also murderers. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Which, maybe. Who knows? Uh, and then is overseen... They're protected by mercenaries and ruled by evil dictators. None of whom will give a shit what happens to the world. Right. And the world doesn't give a shit about what happens to them. The world outside of the world. Yeah. Of Zandia. Zandia. This criminal utopian paradise which has no exports or imports. So do these criminals, are they all just like sustenance farmers? How do they have no imports or exports? It seems like they would need to import everything. They've just figured it out. It's like one of those, um, are they called terrariums when they're totally enclosed? You know, those things with the plants and it's like in a glass bubble yeah, and yeah. they just live forever? They are. And I was actually going to uh, bring up the phrase uh, terrarium later on. Yeah, they've got a sustainable, their whole little ecosystem going on and their own little economic system. The infrastructure for Zandia makes no goddamn sense, and I think he was maybe setting up something else in the previous issue, but in this one, it's on one panel, it is all just like, oh, turns out Zandia is all criminals and they're all evil, so feel bad that they're getting murdered, but don't feel that bad, and that's what's going on there, and that explains nothing and raises so many more questions. The infrastructure of Zandia makes no sense, and... Just the fact that I guess all of these criminals are just happy now working as mail carriers and baristas and shit for each other. It's crazy and it doesn't make any sense. And, and I was like, what the fuck? Yep. What the fuck moment number two involves something I call the devolution terrarium. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, Not that there is a terrarium that they can just put people in that makes them devolve into ape form, and then I guess eventually just protoplasms. But within that, 
here are the two main things that I was like, what the fuck, that doesn't make any sense within this world you've created. Mm-hmm. Okay, the fact that General Saul just apparently plain old forgot that Robot Man, his greatest nemesis on the team, is in fact a Robot Man, and his body will not devolve. But also the fact that Robot Man's mind doesn't devolve. He's got a human brain inside of that robot body. Why isn't his brain turning into a ape brain and then a protoplasmic goo brain? Cyborgs does. Cyborg has robotic parts too. I had a couple different what-the-fuck takeaways. Okay. Mine were that when General Zal did come to that realization, he was not upset because it turns out Neanderthals love to eat robot metal flesh. Oh, clearly. It's their favorite. That was weird. Yeah. And then the other thing is Starfire's people are descended from cats. I noted that as well. And that wasn't so much a what the fuck for me. It's like, oh, okay, I guess that's a thing. Good to know, I guess. Mm. I think it does have the term like steel robot flesh feast or something. I think metallic flesh feast is kind of your own creation, Corey. I don't know. I feel like we I should look this up. Okay, I think I found what you're talking about, and it is, this one is not on General Zal. This is Robot Man's own surmising. They've become primitive savages, ready to feast on a steel skin supper. That's what I was getting at. Okay, that is something that Robot Man thinks is happening, and that's on him. You can't put that on Zal. He's like, they're attacking me. Probably they want to eat my sweet, sweet metal flesh. Oh, Robot Man. Oh, Robot Man indeed. But overall, Robot Man has a pretty decent arc here. He quits himself quite well. But the other what-the-fuck thing about the Devolution Terrarium is as soon as the glass breaks on it, blip! Everybody's back to normal. Immediately. Yeah, none of the gas gets out and devolves you, like, just a little bit. No, no. It doesn't slowly, like, take time to wear off and you revert to your original form. Mm -hmm. It's just, boom, now we're fine. Yeah, that would be, you'd think, science-wise, hard on your cells. Yeah, one would think. So those were the main, like, super what-the-fuck moments. Although, secondary what-the-fuck. What the fuck, Steve? Were you just waiting in the plane the whole time? Hmm? Steve Dayton. He just shows up at the end and is like, oh, hey, there you guys are. I thought maybe he was taking a nap. <laughs> he might have been. He is coming down from, like, a year of being drugged. Mm-hmm. I kind of think the gang tends to use Raven as just a general hangover cure. I'm kind of surprised they didn't take care of uh, mm. care of Steve that way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he just pops in at the end and is like, there you guys are. It's like, wait, was, were you taken? Why weren't you in the devolution tank? Did they not capture you? Or were you just what did hiding I somewhere? Don't... We never find out what happened to him except for he shows up at the end and is like, also, I'm here. There was a funny thing, too, about this issue, which when you first start reading it, it starts off with this editorializing saying, sorry, guys, a bunch of fucked up shit happened. Just keep reading and don't worry about it. What he literally says is, there is <laughs> no way to sum up our pulsating plot to date. So just keep reading and we'll clue you in as we rock it along. What the fuck? Yeah, that seems a little lazy. It kind of is, man. <laughs> And I'm, yet, <laughs> I accurate. get it. Yeah, totally accurate. It's like they finished the issue and we're just like, hmm, let's go back and put a disclaimer. Well, I think it's more they finished reading the last issue and we're like, wait, what happened in this issue? I don't fucking know. <laughs> so they're invading this island of Zandia. Something's going on with Zandia. What did we set up was going on? I don't fucking know. Uh, they're all criminals. Oh, okay, good. Let's make an issue about morality. Yeah. There is a whole lot of soliloquizing in this issue. The ones that stood out to me are Madame Rouge just looking at shit go down and evilly musing to herself. Uh, and at one point just saying like, after all, everyone is the architect of their own fate. Mm. And it's like, wait a minute. Is she an objectivist? Is she into Anne Rand? Because that would be pretty on point. She just finished reading The Fountainhead. Yeah, she probably did. I think that was what turned her evil. <laughs> I don't think it was. I, I know she's blaming the brain and Mr. Mala for that, but uh, I'm pretty sure she just read the Fountainhead. Mm. But you also have Robot Man at the end, after he kills Zal. Wildly out of character. Wildly out of character. Soliloquizing. The last laugh, Zal. 
Nobody gets the last laugh, Zal. You don't get it. The thousands you've killed don't get it. The Chief, Larry, Rita, they don't get it. I don't get it. Not even God allows himself the last laugh, Zal. He only weeps for his children gone astray. That is not Robot Man. That is not the Robot Man voice that we have come to appreciate over these last two issues. Robot Man would just say that like, How do you like them apples? He would say that, <laughs> yeah. He would absolutely be like, Well, don't that beat all. <laughs> or if he wanted to convey even like that, like paraphrasing that, he would have to say it like, Maybe even the Almighty himself, what's up there on that, on that fluffy cloud? He don't get the last chortle. <laughs> He just cries in his milk for all them. Uh, let's see, how do, how do we get lost children gone astray? Uh, uh, hoodlums that could have been good folks. Yeah. <laughs> for all them rotten apples what spoiled the barrel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, that. that is just so wildly out of character for the robot man that we've seen over, we fixed it, over this issue. We did. Great job. Yeah. Nice, nice job with that patch. Sure. Cheers. So let's get to Zal's death scene. Hmm. Pretty what, chill. What a dummy. Yeah, he's a dummy. I and he tries to play it off like he kind of did it on purpose. Like, ha ha, robot man. I have fooled you into murdering me, and now you're a murderer. How do you like that? Because he keeps trying to shoot Robot Man, and Robot Man's like, "Hey, what are you doing? These don't hurt me. They're just gonna..." And they the bullets ricochet off of Robot Man, and kill General Zal, which dope. Yeah. There's no wrong way to kill a Nazi. There's a very right way to kill a Nazi, which I actually thought had happened earlier in this issue. You thought he fell in the pudding? Kind of. When? When Plasmus gets there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, Plasmus, like, starts shit-talking Zal, and it's a kind of confusing panel, but he, like, absorbs somebody into his body and is like, ah, that, this is what you deserve, Zal. And it's like, wait a minute. Did that Nazi just literally die by pudding? Mm. I mean, granted, I want him to sit in some pudding and say, Oh, my bottom! I have poo-pooed! And then fall <laughs> off of a cliff. But, still, if a Nazi dies by pudding, I'm chalking that one up for the wind column. Well, you get a ricochet. Yeah. And as he dies, he says, Heil Hitler. He tries to. He doesn't quite get it out. Yeah, you idiot. Can't even get that right. Yeah, uh, he does suck. You know what I realized this issue, and I didn't notice before. What? How do you lose that hand? I hadn't noticed that either. I think maybe they didn't draw it before. I would assume it's wherever he lost his eye. Oh, did he lose an eye? I don't know what's under that monocle. Hmm. Mm. Nothing good. No, that's for sure. What a jerk. <laughs> yeah, fuck that guy. I'm glad he's dead. I'm glad Rouge is dead too. We're not supposed to think that after reading this issue. There is some very confusing morality going on in this issue because Gar goes on a very quick journey where he's like, I'm going to kill her. And then he kills her. And then he's like, I didn't mean to kill you. And she's like, I'm glad you killed me because I've been dead for a long time. I was bad, but now I'm good because I'm dying. Also in French. <laughs> Sort I'm of. doing a Corey French accent. <laughs> You're almost there, buddy. I'll get there. Um, you gotta go to the old country to really pick it up. Yeah, Italy. So Yeah, and then he's just like, killing is always wrong. But there's a lot of back and forth, because when the Titans are first free, it really seems like, alright, fuck it, gloves are off. And they, I think they even say, like, gloves are off. They say, we're out for blood. Yeah, they're out for blood. But I guess they're just out to... You know, contusions could like, yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll make some blood, but not a lot of it. Yeah, I know. So I had a little bit of difficulty pinning down where the moral argument was. So it started with equal, like proportion, proportional force, you know, yeah, is, is just what you should yeah. respond with, which makes sense. They are in a war. The two sides are killing each other. They are at this point kind of soldiers. It's kind of dumb of them. To be like, well, we're getting involved in this, but we're not going to kill... But we're out for blood. There, and says something like, "There's though no one would even try to hold Starfire back anymore. And then they very clearly do hold Starfire back. And she's like, don't worry, I'm not killing anybody. Which, I mean, as I read some of these panels, is total 
BS. It's complete bullshit. There's on page seventeen, for example, it's I think it's right when she says, Don't worry, I'm not killing anybody, there's like a dude who's getting blown apart. Yeah. <laughs> like his back is exploding with her star bolt that went through his body. Yeah, and he's many like a mile above the ground. So Fair. if he falls, he's gonna die. Very dead. Yeah. Or like Cyborg jumping out of the way at the last minute and having the two robot men smash into each other. They're both gonna die. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe technically he, like, he's got a slight out and there's like, no, I just got them to kill each other. No, you killed them. Yeah, so there's this weird argument of, first, it's okay to use proportional force. Second, mm, it's okay maybe as long as you're not enjoying it. Right. And then third, like, no, killing is the worst. Yeah, I agree. It is very inconsistent in the way that it deals with that. And also, the fact that they've joined forces with people and are helping people murder people. The people responsible for all the murder in the first place. I know! It's nuts. Wait, how is the Brotherhood responsible for all the murder in the first place? Uh, Not all of the murder, but a lot of it, because it is the brain that turned... Oh, that turned Rouge evil. Yeah. It's very convoluted. So... That being said, what did you think of the Brotherhood of Evil? Let's go through the members. All right, I did write them down. Me too. All right, so who do you want to start with? Well, let's first start with, it's a real multinational group, judging by the accent. <laughs> sure. I think we've you got, got one guy who is from Plasmus, I believe it is, is from clearly the same part of Germany as General Zell. Same Because they have exact the same accent. crazy, shitty yeah. accent. So we've got a German... We've got two French people, three sure. possibly. I don't know. I can't really detect how if Brain has an accent, but uh, no, the blips and bloops. Yeah, Mala and um and Warp are both French. Are, yes, yeah, definitely French. Hungen is, I believe, Haitian. That's what I would guess. It, it seems to kind of try to play into that, and he talks about the voodoo of his native land. Mm-hmm. I, I went Haiti. Yep, that's, um, that's where I was leaning to. So we've got French, French, Haiti, German. Germany, phobia sounded American to me. Yeah, there's an, it, she isn't written with a weird phonetically spelled out accent. Which was so jarring. So I'm guessing just actually. like Eastern Seaboard somewhere. Yeah. So yeah, there's that. So I was thinking, again, they're all sitting around in their different corners of the globe reading, you know, Underworld Weekly. or Oh yeah, probably the brain took out an ad in the paper, mm-hmm. like in the Underworld Star. Yep. And was like... Looking for a bunch of real shitheads. Kill crazy asshole? Looking to make good money? Yep. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's go with the individual people, though. What did you think of Warp? I thought, based on his introduction in the last issue, that he would be really cool, because his his outfit was kind of dope. I thought he was pretty cool. Although, I gotta say, somebody should fuck. I don't think his outfit is as dope as you do. I think somebody needs to circumcise that turtleneck. Oh, the hood. Yeah. Dude is walking around in an uncircumcised turtleneck, and it is unsettling to me. It is a little bit of a weird... I don't see what the benefit of having no peripheral vision is. There's no no benefit to not having that, but it's just like if it gets chilly, he can pull up his hood and keep his ears warm. Okay. I get that. But I kind of liked him, and I liked him shit-talking. Like, I don't feel bad for them killing... Zal's murderous minions who were out there fucking killing all of these civilians who from the last issue I honestly expected to be robots. Like, I thought that was where they were going with Zandia because that's the only thing that makes sense for them not having imports or exports. Still need robot juice. They could get some Energon cubes from someplace. Oh, probably. But I liked what he shit talks that like sends them through this portal (laughs) to... To outer space. Oh, by the way. Talking about the fact that's like, now the further I send them away, the more power it takes and the more it drains my energy and makes me very sleepy. I'm sending them to space. Like, he could have sent them underground. Like, he could have put them literally anywhere, but he went the farthest away he possibly could. And then as they're like, oh, by the way, it's very difficult to breathe in space. Burn. Yeah. That was, I I initially had that as a contender for the Bozone moment, but he didn't technically insult anyone. Mm. But he is kind of talking shit as he murders someone, which is something I like in a bad guy. Mm -hmm. Plasmus. He's got a dumb accent. He is the victim of Zal just, like, doing a ton of experiments. He's, like, kind of a lab rat, which Mm -hmm. makes sense that he has the same shitty accent as Zal. 
because I guess they knew each other at some point. And he's just been torturing him and turns him into this living protoplasm thing. He's pissed off, understandably so. I thought that he had turned into a goo that had killed Zal, but I guess he was just killing some of Zal's minions, mm -hmm. who were in turn murdering a ton of people, so... Eh. Didn't have any real strong feelings about him. He was pretty creepy. Yeah. Hoongan, I started to say I don't get how his powers work, but he over-explains them pretty much every time he uses them, and they still just don't make any sense. The, the first explanation made sense where it has to be like an effigy of the target. So Sure, yeah, like just a lock it's a of voodoo hair, doll. A lock of um, Beast Boy's hair on the voodoo doll. The, the voodoo tiny robot. Yeah, sorry, voodoo robot. But, but after that, that, he's just like, this is this represents all my enemies. Well, poke, poke, poke. regardless, e even within that, the way he sets it up is just like, oh, but it's not like regular old voodoo mysticism science it's science but he just uses the word science just it's like i use computers and science what i do is i computer poke this computer voodoo fetish with a computer stick with science and then it's science hurts them with its science and computers well yes yeah good explanation i didn't care for that now it seemed like honestly kind of a weak way to apply a superpower in a like a melee setting where there's just all this hand-to-hand -hand combat going on. Like you're gonna Yeah, he to... should just be back at the back at the lab or whatever, just watching shit on a view screen. Poking. Picking important people, poking yeah, them. Poking them poking them with his, his science robot pins. Yep. Phobia. So when phobia phobiaizes you. Yes. Does it just immediately wear off if she's not continuing to keep the focus on you? Or I'm assuming so. I hope not. Because I would like Garfield to continue to be afraid to harass women. I think that would be a net positive. I don't see that as being the, like, terrible thing that it gets treated as here. That That's a pretty badass power. Just give somebody a huge crippling fear. But she then uses her power to make two of the robot men horribly afraid of snakes. So then they shoot each other because they think that they're snakes. So does she also have the power to make people hallucinate because that hadn't been brought up before and why didn't she just make them super afraid of robots and then they would shoot each other all of them yeah that would have been most effective yeah or just make them afraid of red robots even you can go super specific it's fine mm -hmm. but like i know i'll make you super afraid of cupcakes but there aren't any cupcakes around oh also you think there's cupcakes around no that's dumb yeah that she probably doesn't get paid that much like in her interview brain was <sighs> Yeah. She is super evil, and I appreciate that about her. Which, the way that it manifests itself is Starfire uses the phrase poetic justice, and her response is, <laughs> upon hearing that phrase, she just says, Justice? Bah! The very word sickens me. <laughs> that is evil. That is, that is some high-quality evil. Yep. And then we have Monsieur Mala and the Brain, who are fucking dope. They're pretty rad. like they're su like they're like the brain is super evil and Mala is kind of evil, but he's mostly just really loyal, and also I guess was a murderous ape. I don't know what kind of ape he was. That is just like, look, I'm a murderer. It's in my nature. I can't stop being a murderer any more than I can't stop killing any more than you humans can. Sick burn. Yeah. Sick burn on us as humans. Burn. Yeah, you got us. You got us, Mala. But maybe you could put that beret back on, because I like that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, I like Monsieur Mala. And I like, really, the whole brotherhood stance of, hey, we're buddies. We're on the same team. And, like, they don't have any plans to stab the Titans in the back or, like, turn on them at any point. They're just like, nah, man, we're buddies. We're cool. We're all the same, you and I. Mm. We're not so different. We're all on the same team. Hey, you remember when you killed Madame Rouge? That was dope. Yeah. Well, for now, you know. I, I'm sorry. He doesn't say dope. He says, glorious, glorious. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. He does say that. I, I really liked the general treatment of the Brotherhood of Evil. I thought they were a lot of fun. And I really liked the fact that they were bad guys that are just like, we're all buddies, right? And... And the new Teen Titans are like, no, no, stop it. Yeah. I mean, we, we won't turn you in right now for no particular reason, but stop saying that we're friends. 
the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah, I guess so. That's the stance that they are taking, and they sure do hate Rouge and Zal. Yep. What did you think of Madame Rouge's death? I thought it was drawn quite well. Yeah. I don't understand why she was a little bit alive after it. I guess she just had a big fall. I think maybe he, like, pushed her into some electricity or something. It got real colorful for a minute there, and then she was like, oh, I'm almost dead. Nope, now I'm dead. Yeah, I'm almost dead. Oh, good, I didn't kill you. Yeah, but I'm gonna die. And also, I'm gonna blow up this whole building so everybody's gonna die. Oh, but I'm also not evil anymore. Although, I guess really blowing up everybody is kind of evil. Did she, was she responsible for the buildings going up? I'm pretty sure. Oh, I was trying to figure that out as well. I was like, what? Yeah, let, let's Happy. take a look at that real quick. It's all very confusing. So many things happened so fast. Okay, yeah. So she set the self-destruct on the island before she got almost killed, which turned her unevil. Mm. Okay, that's what she's doing, fiddling with that joystick-looking thing. Right. Before Garfield in his sea serpent slash Kermit the Frog form (laughs) (laughs) punches her into some electricity and then that kills slash de-evils her. It's really weird and it takes a very, as you said, confusing stance on the morality of killing. And it goes back and forth within the issue a bunch of times on it and that wasn't great. But I will say, two pretty satisfying death scenes and I do like the way everything got wrapped up. Or I guess not the way that everything got wrapped up, but I liked that everything got wrapped up. Mm -hmm. And there is a nice moment between Beast Boy and America's fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy man, Steve Dayton, the Freshmaker, Mm. where they hug and say that they love each other and... Calls him dad. Yeah. For, I think, the first time, which Mm -hmm. is nice. And they all go home together and there's the... Anakin and Yoda fade out in the background where their giant ghostly forms hover over the whole scene. Uh, where I'm sorry, the giant ghostly forms of, of Anakin and Yoda. <laughs> of, of Anakin and Yoda, of the rest of the dead members of Doom Patrol yep. loom over and the three living Doom Patrol affiliates, I guess. Mm. I think Robot Man was the only full member of Doom Patrol that's still alive, but mm. you know, Steve Dayton and Garfield were like the Doom Patrol widows. Mm-hmm. Uh, all walk off together and we got some resolution because their murderers were avenged, even though it was mostly an accident. Yep. And so, they weren't punched in a satisfying manner. Like, if Namor had been avenged. Oh, God. Was... Namor would have avenged the fuck out of that. Wouldn't he kill them, though? Just would have put all his... <laughs> all of his all power his into his one punch. Yep. God, I love Namor. Namor might have killed them, actually, because Zal is a Nazi, and Namor has killed a lot of Nazis in his day. Mm-hmm. I mean, he fought in World War II. Wow, that dude is old. Yeah, yeah, he was pals with Captain America back in the day. Mm. But pretty good. Pretty good. Overall. Overall pretty good. Yeah. yeah. You ready to get into the minutia? Sure. All right. Sing us in, Rick. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. All right, so what do you want to hit up first? Let's take it straight to the Bozone. Okay. Taking it to the Bozone. Yeah, sorry, that was kind of weird. That was, like, more underwatery than I was intending. You sounded like, um, like Meatwad a little bit. Oh, I was going for the more of the, uh... Like a low-pitched one. I was going for more of the AutoZone guy. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway... What instance of somebody calling somebody else a bozo, either literally or metaphorically? Been a while since we've had a literal one. I couldn't find a literal bozo in here. No, but there were some metaphoric bozo calling in. What was your favorite instance of somebody really zinging somebody else? My favorite one was when Robot Man calls out General Zal shortly before Zal ricochets himself to death. Uh Uh-huh, and what does he call him? He calls him a stinking filthy butcher. He also calls him a goose stepper, which I liked, too. Yep. I yeah. thought that was I had a, the real ring of truth. and it, it did. I don't know if Zal would consider it an insult, though. I mean, guess, I guess maybe Said Butcher... He was stinky. Okay, he is stinky. He probably doesn't like to hear that. No, he thinks he's the cleanest. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. He really does. Uh, okay. I'll allow it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Gee, thanks. No problem. Do I get Cory points for that? You get four Cory points. Oh. 
That's a lot. Oh, is it? Inflation. Yeah, so for my journey to the Bozone, I had Phobia telling the robot-suited minions Mm. that you see each other as the slithering snakes you are. Because, yeah, I don't know. I guess they're, they're jerks. And also, if she hadn't said it, it wouldn't have made any goddamn sense. Still didn't make a ton of goddamn sense, nope. but, yeah, nobody likes to be a slithering snake. Except for, you know, snakes. Yeah. They're probably okay with it. Mm-hmm. I bet there's some self-loathing going on. Yeah. There's probably some self-loathing snakes out there. Don't feel so bad about yourself, snakes. You're okay. I'm not afraid of you, and I'm afraid of a lot of animals. You're not afraid of snakes? Nah. Oh. You know what I like about a snake? What? Sometimes they eat something, and then the little prince thinks they look like a hat. What? There's one picture in The Little Prince where it's a snake eating something and he thinks it's a hat, but it's like a snake and then there's the lump in the middle where he ate something. Oh. Looks like a hat. Okay. So, guess what I'm saying is, nice job, snakes. All right. Sometimes you eat something and uh, you look like a hat. Okay. Way to go. Sound effects. What was your favorite sound effect? Oh, jeez. There, never... there were some good ones in this. Uh, was... They definitely had fun with them. Uh, I, I chose a couple of smaller moments for my sound effects. There was a lot of really good action sound effects uh-huh. in this, and I kind of took it in a different direction towards one that there were different variations on the theme, but it consistently cracks me up. Okay. And that's the gadgetry noises that come from uh, the brain. The blips and bloops? Yeah, my favorite one went um, blip, blip, bloip. Blip, blip, bloip is nice. <laughs> I like pretend robot talk like that. Bleep, bloop, bleep, bloop, blip. Yep. Good stuff. Yeah, fine, yeah. thank you. I like it when robots talk like that. Uh, Because the brain also just speaks Mm -hmm. English out of his little voice box, saying things like, glorious, glorious. Mm -hmm. But I like it better if it was just like uh, R2-D2 C-3PO dynamic or a Han Solo Chewbacca dynamic, Mm -hmm. where like the brain would be like, blip, bloop, 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 bloop. And Monsieur Mala would go like, you are right, mon ami, they are fucking idiots. (laughs) That's a funny accent. Uh, that's what Monsieur Mala sounds like. He's an ape. <laughs> so yeah, blips and bloops. Yep. I appreciated that too. I decided to go with just an old classic. Uh, Cyborg gets knocked off a clip and it goes spam. Oh yeah, he did get spammed. He gets spammed. Nobody likes getting spammed. Oh man. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed that. And there was another one that was uh, I just enjoyed phonetically, which was Spatrack. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I had a backup, uh, Scroom. Scroom was nice. I remember that one as well. So yeah, some fun sound effects. That was a good time. Indeed. Okay, I had some trouble with these ones, so let's get them out of the way. Who was your Aqualad for this issue? And who was your Speedy for this issue? Aqualad being the greatest of Teen Titans, Speedy being the worst. Who did the best? I had a little trouble with both of these categories, less so with Aqualad. Okay. And Aqualad, I gave the nod to Gar. Okay. On this, I I know that there's some. He went through a some confusing debate. journey, mm-hmm. but uh, generally came out like like he definitely did the most in this issue. He murdered his mom's murderer. I mean, it feels bad about it, but he got vengeance, even mm-hmm. if it was partially inadvertent. Yeah, I agree with you, and I was very tempted to do that, but I had a, a on the down low, Aqualad in this issue, hmm. a surprise Aqualad, Wonder Girl. What? Okay. Follow me on this. Okay. I know she didn't do a ton in this issue. Uh-huh. Like, almost nothing, literally. Yeah, maybe nothing, actually. But hmm. it must have been very difficult for her to do that nothing, because she was in the Devolution Terrarium, mm-hmm. which is fucking with her mind, and she's got in a mindless berserker state, and who's that next to her? Why, it's Starfire devolved into a cat. And she didn't kill she the cat. She didn't strangle any <laughs> cats. There was a cat right next to her while her mind was being fucked with, and she didn't even try to murder it. And Gar turned into a cat, and she didn't mess with him. Well, I don't think she was around when he was doing that. But still. Still, just two cats in one issue. And she didn't kill either of them. Yep. Nice job, Wonder Girl. You are the Aqualad this issue. Well played. That is a hell of a stretch, and is a good segue into my choice for Speedy. Okay, who was your choice for Speedy? I chose Robin simply for the reason that um, he tried to eat Robot Man. (laughs) (laughs) 
Or it really appears like he is trying that. <laughs> yeah, I think he did. And Robot Man certainly thought he was trying to eat him. Not cool, Robin. Well, especially, like, why are you turning on that one guy when there are certainly more edible people around you? No goddamn sense. Yeah, no goddamn sense at all. Man. <laughs> Who did you have as... Yeah, I was going to go with Kid Flash just because he, he didn't do anything, really. Uh, he but I'm... some people. Did he? Yeah. Who'd he beat up? Some of those uh, red Some of those red suit guys. guys. He smashed them into walls and stuff. Yeah, well, shit, then. You know what? You won me over. I'll... I'll yeah, I'll go with... Uh, I'll go with Robin for trying to eat Robot Man like a fucking idiot. <laughs> okay. I do want to give backup points to Raven. I think she did a very nice job. It must have been very difficult for her to be around all of that murder, being an empath, and still wait in there and use her empathic powers to heal Monsieur Mala and keep him from getting killed, and to deal with the consequences of him turning around and killing people right after she did that. And it did enable him to give that little speech that I actually really liked. I'm just going to read the whole speech. It's a little bit off topic, but still. Do not kill? Madame, I kill only the killers. Please don't. It is wrong to do this. I feel and absorb all pain. What you are doing hurts me beyond all your imagining. And he has kind of a sly look on his face when he says that. He says, you plead for me to stop? That is insane, no? I was born a beast of prey. Even with my brain enlarged, I am still a creature of instinct. I cannot stop killing any more than you humans can. Sick burn. Oh, ho, ho. <laughs> he doesn't say the last part, but he thinks that I can tell. Oh, shit. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, and so... Good job, Raven. In your own way. Good job, Monsieur Mala. Fair enough. <laughs> what was your favorite panel? I'm going to go with... Actually, it's, I think, the scene when Gar accidentally kills... Madame Rouge. Madame Rouge, when she's fallen into this bunch of electronics and everything has gone scrack. Right. And uh, it's just, it's drawn very well. The just the aftermath, just her... Is it the, sh- the, the close-up of middle. her face? The one in the middle, that's like a kind of orange color because everything's going all electrified. What page is it? It is on page 21. Okay. Oh, okay. That is a nicely drawn panel of her getting scracked. I liked the shot of her saying, The shock, Logan, it seemed to clear my mind. Please, all of you run. This island will cough be the death of you. I thought that was pretty nice. I, I just like the... She looks like she's dying. Mm-hmm. I think that one's really well drawn. I had a really tough time picking a favorite because there were a bunch of different ones that I liked for different reasons. One of my favorites is when Brain and Monsieur Mala are describing how they managed to survive when everyone thought Madame Rouge had killed them. <laughs> and there's just a panel of their old apartment, which I guess was like a speakeasy or something, because the whole floor is just flipping around and... <laughs> There is an exact replica with mannequins of them sitting on it on the other side of the floor. And we were safe in our underground chamber. And it just really cracks me up. It's just funny. I like the idea that they have that. I like that That I guess the brain is maybe just bolted to the floor or has magnets. And Monsieur Mala must just be like using his simian feet to grip onto the floor somehow. Because they, didn't they don't fall. just fall on their heads and... And get concussions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really pretty goofy panel. Yeah, and I I enjoyed that about it. The one I think I decided to go with, I also really like the silhouette of Zal getting killed. It's just done in silhouette of him getting shot in the stomach, and I like seeing a Nazi get shot in the stomach. Mm-hmm. But the one I had to go with, it's kind of a low-key one, but it's at the beginning, and it's Madame Rouge watching a bunch of people get murdered and just lighting a cigarette. Which at first I thought she was smoking a pipe, but I think it's the Zippo and her cigarette and cigarette lighter and mm-hmm. cigarette holder. It's just a really nicely drawn little panel. It's an inset panel, and then we see a ton of shit going on outside of it, just the hordes of robo flyers. But in that, there's just this quiet contemplative moment that she's having, and you just see how kind of cold and dead and unexcited she is as she's watching a ton of people get murdered. Mm-hmm. And yep, I think it was really well done, and I think that is my favorite panel. Which brings us to, what was your show-and-tell moment for this issue? I'm going to have to go with Gar's speech that he gives on, on page 7. Let's take a look at that. It like, wasn't a literal show-and-tell of, like, like, this action is happening and I'm describing the action that's happening. Yet, 
he basically runs runs everything down. Like, uh, we're enemies, but we have to work together. Right. Instead of just saying, like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. You people are scum. You, Brain, were one of the Doom Patrol's greatest enemies, which makes you my enemy as well. But Zal and Roosh destroyed the Doom Patrol. They killed my adoptive mother, Rita Farr, Elastigirl. So now I'll put aside the contemptible hatred I feel for you, Brain, and I'll fight alongside you. But when this is over, when we've gone our separate ways, the truce will be over. I'll find a way to hunt you down for all your filthy crimes. Yeah. Yeah, totally just could have been like, okay. Just like, okay, I'll do it. But just for now. Yep. I had a moment that happened pretty similarly. It's before he agrees to do that, but it's the introduction scene of the Brotherhood of Evil. And again, I don't know if it's a literal one, but I called it the SNL impression <laughs> introduction because everybody just goes through and says their name and what their power is. Mm-hmm. Like in the same way, it would just be like, Amara, that's right. It's me, Jack Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> warp is like we miss your brain i am called warp with the proper coordinates i can create the warp between any two locations you have tasted the fear creating powers of the phobia ray pray i do not decide to let you feast upon them and i hoongan have shown you how superstition and science can be merged with deadly results science bah this science <laughs> I don't know how to read his accent. This science. <laughs> science. Bah. This science created plasmas. <laughs> General Zal used me as his kitty pig and it almost cost me my life. Zal and his witch companion must pay for what they did to me. Yeah, his only... If you're writing out somebody having a phonetic accent, the only thing he does in that whole speech is the word dis. Just write it out as this. I think what they're trying to do, and I, I, I can kind of appreciate the corner that they've been written into, is he wants to differentiate it from the French accent, but I think they would just have different kinds of Z's mm-hmm. instead of this. It's like, Zis, instead of Zs, you know? Oui. <laughs> yeah. But they just were like, uh, I don't know, probably just Ds, I guess? Yeah. Dis and dur. Dis, dur. And I know dur is a word, but... It's an actual German word, and they don't use it. Yeah, it, it's it's a very confusing accent. But just that series of panels where just like, okay, everybody, explain your name and what you do, and say two things that are true and one lie. Like yep. It's like they're having a bed and breakfast, you have a shared table getting to know you moment. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if technically that counts as a show and tell, but I'm going to. My backup would be anytime Hoongan does anything, he over explains what he is doing while at the same time not explaining it at all just using the word science and computer a lot yep that's fair yeah sartorially speaking Mm. what would you like to talk about uh i had one that wasn't a sartorially speaking thing but it was a choice that gar made that cracked me up that's not my vote for for okay okay but it's the you described it as a lizard meets kermit the frog or something yeah he turns into like a sea serpent but one that like is imaginary and has like a giant rough collar like it's got almost like an elizabethan collar yes and it remind that was the part that reminded me of kermit's weird collar yeah and it's the part where he's like sticking his head around the corner and his elizabethan collar is popping and it's just i was like whoo that's a good look it is i'm surprised he doesn't go he goes for a lot of like borderline mythological creatures in this or extinct creatures because i think at one point he's like dinosaur a dinosaur, but I think he's uh, like, uh, I think in another scene he's like a three-toed sloth or something, or some kind of like a cave bear, maybe. Sloth or cave bear. Yeah, you know, I don't know. It was long ago. A mammal. You know, some kind of a weird. I, I'm I'm not sure exactly what he's going for. I can show you the panel because it's. I should be able to. When clear he it describes up. it as. With my vast knowledge of extinct mammals. Well, I would appreciate that, Corey. Sure. You know, science. Yeah, what the fuck is that? It's got a bison's face. Oh, I think it's like a bugbear from D&D. I think it might be a bugbear. I think he might turn into a bugbear. Yeah, it's something like that. It's like um, Like, the head of a capybara. Sure. The body of a... Capybara. I think it might just be a capybara. really big green capybara. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like an ancient platypus bugbear. Yeah, that's... With a bison head. Yeah, and an alligator tail. Yeah. There we go. 
Okay, there were a couple of outfits that I wanted to discuss a little bit. One is Hoongan's outfit, because I called it the... It's like somebody gave a sunstone to the Falcon's old uniform, mm. and he's like the final evolution of the Falcon. Yeah. It's like a weird, more elaborate headdress, but then also like like cyborg-style robot-themed leggings, and mm. then the weird, like, Zardoz man, man bikini. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the headdress is pretty pretty dope. Yeah, it's oh, honestly overall it despite the way that I have just described it, it's a kind of cool look. Um and really with a lot of these costumes, George Perez draws them really good. Uh and like they just like they don't make any sense but they look cool. Mm-hmm. But then later a different artist has to draw them and they just look fucking ridiculous. Ah. I feel like that happens kind of a lot with George Perez stuff. Mm. The other, well, what what uh, what sartorial choice did you have? Because I have one other I want to talk about a little bit. My choice was uh, Phobia's getup. Yeah, Phobia's got a weird fucking outfit that, yeah, has like a kind of gothic looking curly Q arrow that is like pointing right at her junk. Yeah, I, I was thinking of it as a arrow merkin suit because... <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know if... Is the arrows like right where? Yeah, her... but it's not made of hair. No, but it's in the shape of of a pubic hair, and it's it? arrow shaped. And it's yeah, it was right a... where it would be. I guess. I guess you might be right. It was very ornate. Yeah, but it's on the outside of her clothes, definitely. Oh yeah. So I don't think it counts as a merkin. No, I was just trying to think. What else do you call a thing like that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't know. I call it the uh, I'm with stupid. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, she's wearing the uh, I'm with stupid arrow that is pointing at her junk. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's so bold decision, certainly. Mm-hmm. The rest of her outfit, it's only in one panel that I think that sh- it shows up that way in. Mm-hmm. Mostly she just has, like, giant high Dracula collar, big flowing green cape. Kind of almost a generic, like, wicked witch look kind of going on. Where yep. Most of her head is covered in like a skull cap that comes into a, comes to a widow's peak. Creepy eyebrows. Creepy eyebrows, like really the evil witch from Snow White kind of a look, yep. but with like a really high Dracula collar. But then, yeah, the, in that one panel, and it's the one where she's making Gar afraid of women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's got some weird shit on her on her tummy. Yep, it's yeah. an intense outfit. Yeah. I wonder if at one point, like, before the colorists got their hands on it, that it did say I'm with stupid on there. They just colored over it. They're just like, all right, yeah, I get it, Perez. <laughs> Very funny. Perez is always trying to sneak one past the oh, embellishers. Man. Classic. Classic. Well, I think that actually brings us to the end. What was, was that your choice as well? That was my choice as well. Oh. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Yeah, any final thoughts? Uh, just that on page 24, there's lots of butts disappearing through portals. There are a lot of butts disappearing through portals. Yeah, that's a good call. That's all. There was also a very funny panel where Madame Rouge is, she's using her powers in a way that make her just have kind of a super long bendy butt and is pretty funny. It's like she's a snake taking a poop. Uh... And it, it cracks me up. It's one of the scenes where Gar is in his giant capybara bugbear form. Pretty good. But it does wrap up this story arc. And uh, I'm curious as to what we're going to see next. Kind of nice to have that done. Maybe the next one will be a little bit less comic book per comic book. Mm-hmm. Would be nice. Mm-hmm. I would like that. Despite everything overall, I kind of liked this issue. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us. We will be back next week with the actual conclusion of the Avengers Defenders War. Can you believe it? Hardly. Man. War. Huh. What is it good for? Hmm. That's a very good question. We'll get back to you next week on that. And then we will be back in two weeks where we will find out what the new Teen Titans are going to be up to next. Excellent. I am looking forward to that. We are also just literally a few dollars away from... Our goal on Patreon, where we will bring back the beloved segment, What's Aqualad Probably Up To? 
and introducing a new segment for the Defenders issues, A Wong Day's Journey Into Night. <laughs> oh, I'd come up with a different name for it. Maybe. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Oh, okay. That's enough, Corey. But if you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes or Tumblr or Facebook or all your computers everywhere. Mm. And uh, we're on Twitter at, at ttwasteland underscore. And if you want to push us over the edge and make Corey do a little bit of research, <sighs> then you can do so. By donating at patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. Thank you so much for joining us. Hmm. Thank you. By my whole dad. That still sounds weird. It does sound kind of weird. Yep. Enjoy. Enjoy. Bye. Bye. My whole dad. <laughs> and they know it.